Hello, and welcome to One and Dot Pixie. I'm one of your hosts, Sophie Lee. And I'm Lindsay Jones. Here on the podcast, uh, every episode, we have a question uh, with multiple answer choices, which we then debate and talk our way through. And then at the end of the episode, we come to a verdict. That's right. So, Lindsay, what's our question this week? Our question this week, because this is our last episode of our special three-episode opening week of season two, is a retrospective about all the books we read in 2019. Yeah. So our question is, what was the best book that we read in the year of 2019? Yeah. So you already touched a little bit on why we went for this uh, particular one. For those of you who don't know, Lindsay and I both love to read. True. And we uh, both wish that we did more of it because... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, we tried to... Like, we, we, we were both the, that kid who was always curled up in the corner of a family event uh, with a book yep. and overly thick glasses, <laughs> at least on my part. And we've tried to carry that into adulthood, but, you know, mixed success because we are adults and we have lives and limited free time and things like that. Yeah, and jobs and a full course load as grad students or whatever, just for example. Yeah, yeah. So, Lindsay, what was your, what were some of your 2019 reading goals? For 2019, I set myself the goal of reading 24 books, two books in a month, one book every two weeks. It seemed doable, but I kind of stumbled at the end. <laughs> once my once grad school started, I found I couldn't quite keep up the pace, so I did fall a little bit short. So what was your final tally for 2019? So yeah, I was trying to get to 24, and I got, you know, I, I hit 20 mm -hmm. on, on the head. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's especially impressive because I was hanging out in the teens for months. And then I, you know, once I finished my finals, I finally finished a couple of works in progresses I had. Yeah. I, um, well, first of all, I actually overshot my goal, uh, which is the first time I've ever done that. Uh, quit bragging. Through all of the years I've done the Goodreads Challenge, I always fall short, sometimes spectacularly short. But this year is the first time that I've actually met it. So, Yay. <clears throat> Perfect. Um, I have found... Is it the first year you're doing the Goodreads Challenge when you are not a student? No. Last year, I was also not a student, but I was also working a job that uh, the less said about it, the better. So... <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yeah. I'm now comfortably ensconced in my uh, current position, and uh, now I have a little bit more of a routine and time to read. Um Perfect. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that I found that my kind of cheat card, as it were, uh, is YA novels, which I find that I can normally burn through them in about a, a day or two days, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, because of that, I didn't read quite as much nonfiction as I was wanting to. I consider nonfiction books, even the good ones, to be kind of like the vegetables in that they take time to absorb and learn from. Um, Whereas the YA novels are like the delicious carbs. Exactly. The delicious carbs are like the cookies or the sugar. Um, not mm. saying that they're not good for you. They're just good for you in a different kind of way. And they're enjoyed in a slightly different kind of way. Yeah. So I feel that. Yeah. So speaking of YA, uh, before we really dive into the books that we read, um, I want to give a quick shout out to one of the businesses that was able to help me. 
um, read up on so much YA. And this is not sponsored, but uh, the proprietors of Margins Box are a couple friends of mine. So I want to just kind of uh, give them a quick uh, acknowledgement. So Margins Box is... A- so to be clear, the business that you're shouting out is Margins Box, right? Correct. Right. So Margins Box is a subscription box that uh, specifically focuses on highlighting uh, Black, Indigenous, and POC authors. They also include, with every box, um, swag that is provided by other Black, Indigenous, and POC creators, artists, and other small business owners. And their focus is also on YA fiction written by these authors uh, across a lot of different genres. So some of the books that we are going to talk about were uh, brought to my door in a margins box box. Um, It is a really, really fantastic box. And Kara and Adrienne are some really cool people who... um, put together these boxes. They work really hard. So if you guys are interested in reading more YA, especially supporting diverse authors, you guys should totally check them out. Okay. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. So what is the format of today's episode, Sophie? So rather than four choices, because we tried and we tried and we tried, but we both love books too much to narrow it down to four answer choices. Lindsay and I are going to be speaking more briefly on uh, more options, and we're going to work our way chronologically, so from the first quarter of the year through the last quarter of the year. Right. So before we get started on 2019's books, we do want to mention a couple books that came out at the end of 2018 as honorable mentions. Right. So my honorable mention is An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green of YouTube fame. Yes. John Green is his more well-known author brother. I shouldn't say he's more well-known. I mean, John Green is an author, and this is Hank Green's first book. Right. And I thought it would be like a John Green book, and it was not. It was a very interesting book about internet culture and celebrity. And I was very happy to read it, and I was very happy to learn just a little while ago that the sequel is coming out. This year, July 2020. Awesome. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah, great. Uh, My honorable mention was actually... (laughs) So this one comes with a story. Mm -hmm. This book was actually given to me by you, Lindsay. Um, True. Girls of Paper and Fire by Natasha Nunn. I think I'm pronouncing that right. So this was given to to me by you as a Christmas present. And I took it yes. with me when I went to go see my then significant other in uh, Madrid. Yes. And I brought it because I normally bring a book as airport reading because what are you going to do when you have layovers and stuff? But uh, what I didn't count on was the fact that this book was so engrossing that even though I was sitting right at the gate where my flight was supposed to depart, I completely missed the boarding call. I was so wrapped up in this book. Uh, and the long and short of it is that I ended up being stranded in Madrid for 24 hours on account of this book. Now that is a recommendation for a book. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a book, it's a epic fantasy book that, um, involves two queer heroines in a sort of China-esque fantasy setting. So like it hit all of my buttons, basically. There was no way that I was going to, uh, be able to resist it. Although maybe not quite so spectacularly. That would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
All right. So with those honorable mentions from 2018 out of the way, let's start with the first quarter of 2019. This nomination is from me. Mm -hmm. I read The Bells by Danielle Clayton. Yes. Which I also received as a Christmas present, but actually it came out in February. So, you know, the pre-order was the Christmas present. I see. This is a YA novel that is, I guess I would call it fantasy. It has magic in it, but it's not high fantasy. It's not swashbuckling, you know? Yeah. So the premise of the bells is that in this world, there are a class of people called bells who have the ability to change others' appearance using magic. Ooh. As, you know, it's like the most radical plastic surgery you can imagine. Mm -hmm. They cannot change their own appearances, but they have the power to change others' appearances. So they're kind of trendsetters, morale raisers, etc. So our main character is vying to be the belle appointed to the royal court of her country. Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't understand the consequences of it. Mm -hmm. And soon discovers a conspiracy. And there's danger galore and rakish rakish boys who are trying to get her attention and et cetera, et cetera. And body horror. So watch out for that. Yeah. So Lindsay, why did this make your best of 2019 list? It was a book that I was very, very excited for. It had a lot of hype mm -hmm. in the lead up to its drop. Yeah. And when I read it, it didn't live up to its hype. Uh-huh. But the hype was just so, like, that's not saying much. The hype was at a, you know, 300. So even though it was only a 250 that's still an amazing book, you know? Okay, I see. The world building, I think, is the number one thing about this book right. that is amazing. Right, okay. And I think that Clayton also uses her narrator in a really skillful way because mm -hmm. that's the that's a really difficult thing to do when you have a kind of fantastical, non-real world setting is how to deliver that exposition to the reader, right? Right. And the point of view is um, limited to the to the main character, who obviously knows all about this stuff. So I thought I thought the way Daniel Clayton delivered the information was very believable mm -hmm. through this main character. Right. Okay. I don't want to give any plot spoilers, so I'm talking in general terms. But believe me, if you like sort of quasi-sci-fi, magic, intrigue, intrigue of the royal court kind of, kind of books mm -hmm. with a young heroine of color by a female author of color, yes. then I recommend this book. Yes. All right. So I don't have any nominations for the first quarter of 2019, but I do have two nominations for the second quarter of 2019, which is April through June. And what is your first nomination from the second quarter? So my first nomination is a romance novel called The Bride Test by Helen Huang. Oh. Um. So this one... Throughout the, this year, uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been teaching uh, Vietnamese to at a local Sunday school, and one of the things that I've been trying to do is to read as many works by Vietnamese American authors as possible to sort of um, build up a list of recommendations to my students. Um, mm -hmm. So while I loved this book, and in just a second, I'll get into why. Uh, I cannot recommend it to young readers because it is undoubtedly an adult book. So, so that being said, The Bride Test is about this half Vietnamese, half American girl who comes to America uh, on the 
with the mission of sort of seducing this uh, this Vietnamese American guy who is uh, autistic, and his mother kind of recruits her to come over and try to try to sucker him into being her husband. Um, mm-hmm. It's a pretty funny premise, um, and it's a very funny book. Like she's a very plucky heroine, but also she's super smart and super compelling. And the romantic hero is also really interesting to read because he his experience as an autistic person is based on the author, uh, Helen Huang, who also identifies as an autistic person or somebody on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very endearing romance. It's, it hits a lot of the stuff that I am really into. I'm really into arranged marriages and all of that kind of thing. Um, hijinks, a lot of hijinks. And also it uh, includes a loving tribute to Vietnamese food and especially fish sauce. So how could I resist, Right. How can you? Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. So even though it is not for children, it does, it is a very lovely vignette and I think does quite a good job at capturing the sort of Vietnamese American experience in a very loving way. So for that reason, Mm -hmm. it makes my list. Okay. That sounds like a super fun book. I love romance novels, firstly. Yes. Secondly, I love books that are about marginalized communities, Mm -hmm. like how, how amazing to be able to read a book about an autistic person having a romance, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because they're just so often infantilized. Yeah. People on the spectrum are just so often infantilized and not allowed to have romance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fiction. Right. That sounds like a really good pick. Well, what's your other one for the second quarter? So my other one for the second quarter is Somewhere Only We Know by Maureen Gu. So this Mm -hmm. book was featured in Margins Box, I want to say in May or June. The basic premise is uh, it's Roman holiday, if you've ever seen that movie, but K-pop. So our heroine is the endearingly named Lucky, which is her stage name. She's a K-pop superstar. And she um, is really overwhelmed. She's on the brink of like this big public appearance, but she's really overwhelmed. And so she kind of escapes away for a day in the company of this cute guy who is secretly a tabloid photographer but you know he's trying to keep that under wraps and so it's this lovely um sort of dramatic irony uh kind of thing because the two leads have these conflicting roles the narration alters back and forth between the two leads so again building that sense of Mm -hmm. dramatic irony um it's very funny of course there's a lot of hijinks um it's set in i want to say it's set in hong kong so you know a lot of oh yeah, it's a really cool setting. Again, it's realistic fiction, but it's a really cool setting. And it's, again, a loving tribute to food. I think you're starting to see all the buttons that you need to push in order to get me to read your book. Um, mm-hmm. And That sounds like a book that I started in 2019 via audiobook. Yeah. And have not to date finished, but, you know, sometimes I read books over the course of years. Yes. So. Um, called Permanent Record by Mary Choi. Okay. Or Che. I don't know which pronunciation she prefers. Mm -hmm. Mary H.K. Choi. Mm -hmm. um, That has a similar premise, but... So it's an American pop star who meets our main character who's down on his luck, college dropout, who works at a bodega. Uh Uh-huh. Ooh. And she comes in at, you know, 4 a.m. looking for snacks, and they they meet. Yeah. So... Maybe that's just a popular genre of 2019 is... Stories about a female pop star meeting an everyman by Korean-American authors. Yes. Yes. Um, Could be. 
So yes, this one is definitely a YA novel, um, and it is a romance, but it is very sweetly done, and I really adore it. it. It's kind of, it's a very pretty package, which is not something that I can always say for a lot of YA novels, but I really liked this mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up. Lindsay, did you have any nominations for second quarter? I did not, but I did have two nominations for the third quarter. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, and I believe you are responsible for the only nonfiction entry, the only vegetable in today's list. That is true. All right. Go for it. Um, my first nomination for third quarter of 2019 is Because Internet by Gretchen McCulloch or McCulloch. And this is, as you said, a nonfiction book that endeavors to quantify some features of internet language. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, I have a bachelor's degree in linguistics. Yes, and you do. So have an interest, you know, in this kind of thing. I wrote my undergraduate thesis on internet prosodic features, which sounds very fancy, doesn't it? But it was just a literature review. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was writing it, I knew I fo- I've followed Gretchen McCulloch's work for years and years. Yeah. And I knew that she was working on this book. But I wrote my thesis last, you know, two years ago, mm-hmm. the summer before Because Internet came out. So I, I was so disappointed that it wasn't out when I was writing yeah. my paper, because as I was reading it, I was like, this is exactly what I needed the entire time. And I knew, yeah. I knew it would be just perfect. Yeah. Ugh. This this book is very interesting and has a very broad scope. We're talking about a lot of general things. We're talking about different users of the internet and the different features that come with generational uses of the internet, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. People who grew up on the internet versus people who adopted the internet versus people who adopted the internet via Facebook. Uh, yes. (laughs) We're talking about informal writing and how the internet has made a place for that. Yeah. Where we have formal speech and informal speech. For a long time, we only had quantifiable formal writing. Right. But I think probably, you know, the most the most interesting part of the book is definitely the second half where we're talking about memes and internet culture and emoji and how the internet uses gesture via emoji and how we indicate tone of voice. Yeah. All the kind of stuff that all the kind of stuff that you might think of when you're trying to explain to a non-internet savvy person Boomer. why they can't end their text with periods. Yeah. Yeah. Or they can't just text the letter K to mean that they understood because that has a totally different connotation. Yeah, or like the or like using smiley faces. You know, there's some that are acceptable and some that are very, very passive aggressive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I had to explain that to my sister, oh. who obviously shares my generation. Yeah. She would end her she ends her text messages with, you know, colon parentheses. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Are you mad at me? Yeah. <laughs> Can I help you? Yeah. Yeah. And she wasn't. She was just like, no, it's just, you know, it's a smiley face because she's just not a heavy internet user. So she ha- doesn't have the fluency with informal internet writing. Right. Yeah. That many people do. It's very these days. It's very interesting because um, as somebody who I'm working now in a place where there's a lot more older people. And so it's mm-hmm. very interesting to sort of have to my native language, as it were, is the informal internet speech, you know, the one that's very sensitive to tone and connotation and all of that stuff. And it's very interesting to have to sort of relearn the 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 communication norms of an older 
email-based workplace. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's email that's etiquette a is also thing. a trick. I mean, cause one of the things that I found interesting, so I find it firstly gratifying to see my language intuitions laid out in this text because I'm more of a native internet speaker myself. Yes. So to see quantifiable data that says we analyze these tweets and this is what we found and this is what it means. Yes. And I'm like, ha, yes, I do that. Numbers. You know? They're great. Obviously that's fun. Uh-huh. But as far as learning new things, mm-hmm. I found the historical parts of the book very interesting. I'm and sure. I found yeah. um the segment where McCulloch discusses, you know, the different generations and the history of the internet, because you know. People have only been using the internet to chat with each other since like the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's a very young platform of communication that has changed, has gone through several very intense evolutions. Yeah. And there were, you know, memos about netiquette and stuff in the 90s mm-hmm. and all kinds of fun anecdotes about how everybody had to have a sit down at some point and say, you know, if you type in all caps, that means you're shouting at us. Yeah. Whereas before, it just kind of didn't mean anything. It was just a different way of writing, and it had no attachment to delivery or tone of voice. Yeah. Just, I think it's such an interesting book that's also very accessibly written. Mm-hmm. McCulloch has a master's degree in linguistics, but she has been an internet linguistics person for years and years and has a huge online platform um, where she where she discusses internet linguistics and has written guest posts everywhere. Well, I was going to say that, I mean, yeah, she runs a pretty fantastic Twitter account. So anybody who's on Twitter should go follow her. Absolutely. She runs a great Twitter account. She runs a great Tumblr. Mm -hmm. She has a great podcast. She guest writes on The Toast and Medium and et cetera and et cetera and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And she's really mastered the art of just being a linguistics communicator, you know, Mm -hmm. an education communicator. Yeah. She just, she's very good at just telling you the data in a way that's accessible and not, you know, gatekept by some ivory tower kind of jargon. Excellent. Which is exactly what I like yeah. in my nonfiction. We have no choice but to stand. <laughs> we have no choice but to stand. It's true. All right. So I, I, uh, I really liked that book. I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but I thought it was definitely one of the best books that I read last year. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'll have to grab a copy myself and, and get into reading that because that sounds right up my alley. Yes, I recommend it. Okay. Too bad your birthday is in October because uh, it's okay. I would get it for you. It's all right. Um, I'd loan you my copy, but I don't think I'd get it back and I want to keep it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. It was a gift. Yes. No, no, no. You must keep the gift. Um, okay. So, uh, as I recall, you had two nominations for this quarter. So what was your second nomination, Lindsay? The second nomination, I feel that it was much talked about, so I hope it's not too surprising. The second nomination is This Is How You Lose the Time War by Max Gladstone and Amal El-Motar. Yeah. I had heard about this. I didn't read it when it first came out, mm-hmm. but I heard a lot about it when it came out, and I kept hearing about it, and it kept showing up on my library app front page Mm -hmm. as a recommendation for me to check out but and finally in november i was going on a road trip with some friends right and we had a lot of downtime so i checked it out from my library as an ebook and i just read snippets of it and finished it on the trip because it's a very short book right so what's the premise yes so 
This is How You Lose the Time War is a probably novella because it's short. I don't know what the distinctions are for length. A short novel, a science fiction piece about two opposing agents who work for time travel agencies called Red and Blue. And the structure of the book is that Red is assigned a mission, which she fulfills and then finds herself foiled and finds, instead of her objective, a note or a letter or whatever Uh left by Blue. Then the next chapter, Blue is trying to fulfill a mission and she finds herself foiled and finds instead a communique from Red. So you get to see a narrated chapter and then a letter. Oh, cool. And I did say she and she because they are both women. Oh, yeah. Is there For a-, a certain definition. They both identify as female because they are, you know, humanoids of an unknown future and as such have very strange things that uh, don't read as human to us. Yeah. Is there, a, is, there, is there a romantic tension? Oh, my God, yes. It is a love story. That's how they lose the time war, baby. It's love. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, now whether or not it can all end well for them, you know, you have to read the book because they are opposing agents and all. Bless. So not only is this a beautiful love story between competent, intelligent women, but it's also very beautifully written. Mm -hmm. It's poetical. Like, it is not an action thriller in style. Oh, beautiful. It's more about, you know, the musings of the streams of time Mm -hmm. and how lives branch and come back together. Yeah. And contemplations on the single leaf as it drifts across the wind. Like, it's much more like that. Ooh, I'm I'm, I'm into that. I am also a big fan of epistolary fiction when it's well done. So I'll definitely have to check that one out. Yes. I think you would like it a lot. I think... It's such a short read that if anybody, if any of you listeners are interested in the idea of Mm sci-fi, time travel, romance, high tensions, enemy, you know, star-crossed love, Mm -hmm. then just read it. It will take you a few hours. Yeah. Plus, I love uh, Max Gladstone and Amel El-Muhtar. Like, they're both, uh, again, they also run pretty cool Twitter accounts, um, which any of you readers listeners out there who are um, interested in knowing about authors and the publishing world, the place to be is Twitter. That's like every author and their grandma has a Twitter account and a lot of them are very, very fun to follow. They're funny or they're informative or they're witty or whatever. And also, that's also where you can contact or hear about a lot of agents for those of you who have novels that you're wanting to publish, you can find a lot of agents, uh, especially young agents, um, who are very interested in sort of looking for new stories and diverse stories. That's where you'll find them is on is on author Twitter. So just a tip for the That's a pro uh, tip for you. Yeah, exactly. Just a tip. Well, I don't know. If I'd, I wouldn't consider myself a pro, but, you know, a tip. Well, as you shared in an earlier episode, you were published at 13. So. <laughs> Okay. You're a pro in that sense. You got paid to publish something. I did get paid. It was a very nice, it was a very nice uh, $250 check and I have never forgotten it. Okay. Hey, (laughs) nice. All right. So um, I think that wraps up quarter number three. So uh, for quarter number four, uh, we haven't had the chance to read as many books in this quarter as we would like to because, um, you know, 
our Christmas holidays. Pi- yeah, the holidays. Our Christmas piles are still sitting in the unread thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I did manage to read one excellent book, which also arrived on my doorstep in a margins box box. And this book was called The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis. And what is The Good Luck Girls about? So the premise is it's set in like this vaguely Americana setting, sort of post-apocalyptic Western kind of deal, right? So I'm already hooked because I love Westerns. Um, I have always had a weak spot for Westerns. My dad had a stash of Louis L'Amour at our house when I was a kid. Um, And so this is a sort of Western adventure. So the premise is that there are these places in this Wild West esque setting called welcome houses which are basically brothels and our heroines are five girls who work at the welcome house they're called good luck girls right um okay and there's sort of uh there's different kinds of magic that bind them to the welcome house but they get in a spot of trouble and they decide to run away and so this that's what kind of kickstarts the plot, and then it's all about them trying to escape this hellish world and the line of work that they are in, uh, with a lot of uh, adventures across this wild west. And they, you know, they find themselves kind of becoming outlaws, and it's really, it's a really fun read. That sounds very fun. Yeah. So, is it magic realism or more fantasy? Um, I. <sighs> I think it walks that line, right? Because mm-hmm. it's in a sort of an alternative Earth, semi-post-apocalyptic kind of setting. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a lot of really recognizable elements from the American West. So there's that. Uh, but there's also a substantial amount of magic and a lot of kind of, you do have to learn the rules of the magical universe. Um, so, yeah. so there's that. So, I mean, it's kind of, I would say it kind of walks the same line as say like, Hades Town, the musical, where it's got a very Wild West uh, dust bowl kind of feel. Um, mm-hmm. But so it's familiar, but strange at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite kind. Yes. Yes. And it's a very fun read. There's a lot of adventures. Again, I keep using the word this word. I'm sorry, but there's a lot of hijinks. But also um, <laughs> there's a lot of really beautiful stuff about stories of love and and sisterhood that I think really break it over the top. And favorite of favorites, it's a standalone. So it's, at least as far as I know, there's sort of room for a sequel, but it wraps up very nicely in one compact volume, which I'm always for because... Me too. Yeah. I will tell you, that was one of my biggest criticisms of The Bells. Mm -hmm. One of, again, I liked it a lot. It didn't quite live up to the hype, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And one of my biggest criticisms of it was... It, it had that, it had that thing that some books do, mm-hmm. where instead of being a discrete story in a bigger story for a series, it just didn't finish the story. Yeah, to set you up for the sequel. Yeah, which I don't care for. Mm-hmm. Am I gonna get the sequel? Yes, but <laughs> I would have liked it if I had, if I felt a nice resolution for the first story. Right. Yeah. Um, so The Good Luck Girls does not do that. I mean, there's definitely room for a sequel because there are a couple of threads, um, kind of hanging loose 
when you get to the very end, but I, it re, it's got a very clear emotional arc that uh, does mm-hmm. resolve by the end. You know, you the most important questions are answered, and then you can either read the sequel or you can just stop there and be like, "This is good. This was the the, the full meal that I wanted." You know? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to know a funny story about stories that tie up very well in their first book and can take or leave the sequels? Go for it. When I was in like sixth grade or seventh grade or whatever, uh-huh. Hunger Games oh. and Catching Fire were coming out. Oh gosh, yeah. And I read Hunger Games uh-huh. before Catching Fire came out uh-huh. and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so amazing and then it wraps up and there's still these hanging threads for any fan fiction I might want to read. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, yeah, they did it. They won the Hunger Games. Done. Yes. And then my... So I was in seventh grade and my sixth grade teacher was like, oh, well, you know, the sequel to that that book you liked just came out. You should read it. And I didn't read Catching Fire for like a year and a half because I was like, it was just so good and it wrapped up so well. What a, like, why did they need a sequel? Because <laughs> I thought it was such a good standalone novel. Yeah, it is. It's a wonderful standalone novel. That being it said, and I I didn't know. I didn't know she was going to do like a revolutionary war situation. Yeah. You know, that being said, but Catching Fire is funnily enough, it's my favorite of the 3. Really? Yeah, I I just really like it just because it's got I'm a really big person for character interplay and for sort of exploring the world, and so Catching Fire really does that because you sort of get the neat story in the very first book and then the second book kind of it's a little bit more scattered and so I definitely think it's not quite as neat as The Hunger Games is, which just makes sense. It's the middle child of the trilogy. Um, yeah. But I just loved how much more of the world that you could see, the politics, the sort of the the machinations, which is something that I'm a really big fan of, right? Again, going back mm-hmm. to that whole thing about the deadly decadent court and knowing more about um, the, the, the politics and meeting more of the characters in the world. So I really liked that part yeah. of Catch and Fire. Yeah, I get that now with the... Wisdom of time. Yes. But back then I was like, no, no. This is a standalone in my heart. Yeah, no. And it is a wonderful standalone. It's like very beautifully resolved. Like it's it's a it's a lovely little just self-contained thing, you know? Yeah. Like the good luck girls, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So those were the books that Sophie and I read in 2019 that came out in 2019. Right. So of these six books, because we're not going to count our honorable mentions. Yes. Sophie, what was the best 2019 book you read last year? So uh, I'm going to go with <laughs> The Bride Test by Helen Huang. It, um, Aww. Yeah. It has, again, it's a lot of the stuff that I really love to see in, say, fan fiction that I so rarely see in um, actual published fiction which mm-hmm. maybe that's just because I'm reading the wrong fan fiction, but I don't think that that's, or sorry, maybe that's just because I'm reading the wrong published fiction, but I don't quite believe that that's the case. But, you know, it's got... Do you read a lot of romance novels? S- some. I've I've read some, you know, and, and they do hit ah. a lot more buttons than, say, other genres. You know, they, 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 they hit a lot of the sort of hijinksy and the rapport and all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But I just really liked this one because it, again, it's it's very Vietnamese American, right? The author is clearly writing from a place of a lot of deep love, but also, you know, not 
adulation. You know, there's there's obviously there's some criticisms and stuff like that. Um, the characters yeah. felt very true to life. Um, but also there was a really fantastic there was a lot of chemistry between the two leads. They are interesting. I'm always here for romance that tackles that includes characters of sort of marginalized backgrounds. Right. Mm-hmm. So in this case, um, a Vietnamese American mixed race person as well as a person on the autistic spectrum so i thought i always think that stuff is really interesting um and yeah. uh something that i don't talk about as much but the smut was great and that is something that like it's very necessary for yeah. a romance novel that wants to be explicit like you can't what they have that award of the worst sex scenes in fiction at the end of the year yeah you don't want to end up on that list. No. Yeah. And to be fair, there's also certain small blogs and stuff like that that they do the best sex scenes in romance of the year. But you so yeah, I hope this one makes the list because the smut was excellent. So I saw on Twitter the other day mm-hmm. a screenshot of an ebook. Yes. And it was some it was a, a male character having a dream about a woman that I guess he's attracted to. Mm-hmm. And it was all just very confusing, and he compared her nipples to little berries, and I didn't know what was going on. And then I got to the caption, and they said it was from A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, God. And I was like, this is uh, one of the many reasons I've never read those books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, A Song of Ice and Fire is, um, it's interesting. It's, but I would argue that it's, it's, even though it does have explicit smut it is not about the sex you know it's one of those novels where the sex it's not that there was explicit sex is that it was weird and not sexy there you go yeah that was my problem with it okay well (laughs) very strange yeah i find that a lot of a lot of books by that are written by uh authors who identify as male or uh, are just Mm -hmm. the sex is just not satisfying no yeah just not all right. Not the best. So <laughs> that's my pick for best book of 2019. What about you, Lindsay? For me, I'm not a big reader of nonfiction, but I have to give it to Because Internet. It's such an important book. It was important. It was interesting. I had been waiting for it for like three years. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I follow her on Twitter and on her Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And She's been talking about this book that she's writing for years and years, and I've been excited, and I've been excited, and and this one lived up to the hype, huh? Yeah, even when it was stuff that I already knew, Mm -hmm. you know, the way she presented it or the context she gave made it fresh again, and it's it's just so accessible. As you know, Mm -hmm. I'm still in school, and having to slog through articles that are written by experts in their fields. And they're all just so pompous and the language is just so alienating yeah. that I can't help but feel they can't know their subject as well as they claim to if they if they can't make it any less obtuse. Yeah. Agreed. You know? Mm-hmm. So to see Gretchen McCulloch so, so deftly deliver this information just really hammers home how talented she is at what she does. Yeah, that's fantastic. I will definitely have Mm -hmm. to put that on my to read in 2020 list then. Yes. I also, you know, I had a question for you about reading and what you read last year. Yes. Do you have a best fan fiction that you read last year? Uh, Actually, I do. 
And it's going to surprise you because... Um, is it Anne of Green Gables fic? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I do, uh, which is which is um, the best work, which I have read, I want to say, I've read it like five times now, um, is this work called The Happiness We Must Win by Eliza Skye. Uh, the mm-hmm. full work right now is on fanfiction.net, which is how you know I love it because I went to fanfiction.net and read it. But the author, yeah, gosh, what a recommendation, right? But the author is currently in the process of kind of polishing it up and then putting it on AO3. So we're getting a sort of a, a second edition of the oh. work on AO3. So the happiness we must win uh, kind of goes hand in hand with the sort of the book or the work that the author wrote previous to that, which is um, called di- called Dispatches. So the premise is it's an Anne of Green Gables fan fiction. Um, and the first book, the first work, Dispatches, is set during World War I, uh, during concurrent with the, the final of the Anne of Green Gables novels, which is Rilla of Ingleside, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that one is set during World War I. And it's, it's about like, uh, you know, life on the home front and stuff like that, and all of the characters going off to war. So, dispatches is almost completely epistolary, um, which, and, as you told us, you love. Yes, so it's almost completely epistolary. It starts off a little bit rough, but then, like, the author really hits her stride about like a third of the way through, and just keeps going. And it's very strong. It's this. It's all just all of the characters kind of writing back and forth to each other. So kind of in the tone of Anne of Green Gables wherein there's a lot of there's like a lot of good humor and 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 hijinks but at the same time it's also it's World War One, so really capturing that emotional um arc and then the happiness we must win covers from the end of World War One through to 1942 so there's the you know the the interwar period as well as the beginnings of World War Two, um and it follows specifically it follows three characters who did not end up with a significant other at the end of Rilla of Ingleside. Um, and they're kind of, and, and they're kind of, their are sort of stories as they go in and, and kind of forge this unconventional kind of found family thing. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that really stands out aside from the authors, just the author's writing and their style is really nice the thing that really stands out is how well researched these two works are especially the happiness we must win because at the end of every chapter the author has citations for not only the historical sources that they used you know but also the uh the passages from canon Anne of green gables universe that um they reference or that they base certain things off of you know so it's like it's it's very firmly grounded in canon as well as in history and so i just thought i was just like wow this is really really impressive it's beautifully researched it feels very much um authentic to the time period uh and and just the love story in it is love stories i should say but it's just it's just incredibly powerful um and i yeah i've read it like five times <laughs> that's how you know. Yeah, that's my favorite fan fiction of uh 20, 2019 is The Happiness We Must Win. What about mm-hmm. you, Lindsay? Probably my favorite one I read this year was mm-hmm. not published this year. It's uh-huh. from 2014 and I've read it several times. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but do you know a fanfic that I did read that has been ongoing for 2 years and just finished like this Dece- this past December, mm-hmm. like last month? Mm-hmm. Um, landscape with a blur of conquerors. 
which Ooh. is a Ray and Kylo Ren fanfic. Ooh. Yes, the very contentious ship. Yes. But, you know, this the author has a different handle on Twitter than they do on um, Archive of Our Own, so mm-hmm. let me just look that up. Yeah. So, Landscape with a Blur of Conquerors is, it's, it's like everything I want in a enemies to lovers kind of fanfic. Bless. It's an arranged marriage fic. Bless. And it has court politics out the wazoo. And, Bless. you know, economic talk and yes. secret cabals. Uh-huh. And an interesting exploration of the force. Uh-huh. I'm a person who has only seen Star Wars because, of course, there's the entire expanded universe, right? Right. I have not engaged with any of it. I haven't watched any of the TV shows. I haven't read any of the books. Mm-hmm. So this author has, apparently, exhaustive knowledge of the entire expanded universe. She God puts bless. links at the bottom of every chapter explaining uh-huh. any references to anything that she's mentioned, and there's always at least ten. There you go. She doesn't invent, I think, any planets out of whole cloth. It's just plucked from some obscure corner of the expanded universe. Yeah. Um, the author on AO3 is D- Disasterisms. Uh-huh. I think her Twitter is Kylo Ren Vivo, but I'd have to check. Okay. And don't worry, guys. We will link all of this stuff in our show notes. Yes. And it is explicit and the smut is good. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just more, it's such an impressive feat, again, of like the world building and tying everything together mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense and juggling all of the factions. Because yeah. that's totally beyond what I can do. Right, yeah. In a creative capacity. I, I just, I'm always so blown away when authors can do that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. What I also think is funny about this fic mm-hmm. is that I've been reading it for like a year probably. Mm-hmm. So when I came in, I'm reading it and it's like on chapter 15, it was like, sorry guys, had to expand the chapter count to 20. Then on chapter 20, sorry guys, had to expand the chapter count to 30, etc. It ended with 69 chapters. Oof. That's beautiful. I so, love uh, that. She really overshot herself on that one, I think. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of the best works do, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Published and fan fiction, some of the best, like, long fic works. Like, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien didn't mean, he meant to write a sequel to The Hobbit. And then uh, Lord of the Rings and happened, and it took him 16 years. So, <laughs> you know. Foolish. Yeah. So that's the best fan fiction. Um I, I, I always feel, and we're going to talk about this because we do have a fan fiction episode planned for the future in this season, but that's always the best and the worst kind of fan fiction is when you're just like, man, that was so good. I wish canon was like this. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like the best fan fiction is not what I wish canon was, but just world building mm-hmm. in ways that I never would have thought of. That's true. That's true. And it's not that I want, so like, my favorite kind of Harry Potter fanfics are the ones that really go in and talk about pure blood culture and wizard festivals and blood magic and stuff. And I'm like, I don't think Harry Potter should have done it. Mm -hmm. Harry Potter was doing what it needed to do. And Harry was an everyman and blah, blah, blah. And I think that was fine. Mm -hmm. That's what I like. Fan fiction, fan fiction gives me something canon couldn't in ways I'd never would have conceived of. Yeah, I'll see if I can find the article that was brought way back in the early days when people first started to become aware of fan fiction and um, 
to sort of destigmatize it. Uh, but this mm-hmm. article, one a quote that's always stuck with me is that fan fiction fills in the negative spaces left by the published work, which is something yeah. that has always stuck with me. And I think it's very true. Yes. And that's why there are some fanfic that I'm like, gosh, I wish canon was just this. Mm-hmm. But my favorite ones that stick with me, I never want to replace canon. I'm just like, you have done something so amazing with what canon didn't say. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I actually had a question. Um, I had another question about reading in 20, 2018 or 2019. Go for it. I wonder what you think about audiobooks versus print word. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Uh, the transition into the adult world when you start listening to audiobooks. Um, yeah. I, I actually, that um, you know that book I mentioned to you that was similar to Somewhere Only We Know called mm-hmm. Permanent Record? Yes. So I, I have it, I have, I've checked it out on audiobook several times mm-hmm. from my local library. Yes. And I just keep timing out without finishing it because I just can't get behind it. Mm-hmm. And I can't be sure, but I feel like if I read it on print, I would be able to, I would, I would be hooked and mm-hmm. engaged. Yeah. And I don't always feel like that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not against audiobooks. Right. Several of my Goodreads books were checked out via audiobook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But somewhere only, not sorry, um, Permanent Record is a, like, romance, YA romance, and mm-hmm. I just felt strange about it So here's how I feel. To me. So here's how I feel about audiobooks, because uh, earlier in the year, I did get a, I did, I was temporarily on a subscription to Audible and listened to through quite a bit of, quite a few books. The way that the best audiobooks in my experience, for me, at least, um, are nonfiction, right? I yeah. am with you. I cannot stomach somebody reading fiction to me because they'll never do the voices right. They, you know, I just, I just, it is so much better if I just leave it to the imaginings in my head, right? And also because yeah. I burned- and to an extent, sometimes I can sidestep that for fiction. Because um, yeah. if it's a book I've never read, mm-hmm. then I don't have a conception of what I want the voices to be. So it can work, but I find- um right romance is -hmm. where it really kind of gets hung up yeah it's i mean going back to the love confessions episode where it's like some things they're great to read on the page but then when you listen to them then you're just like i don't know that's a bit much right yes yeah exactly also also, i mean also it just at least for me it's a matter of time wherein again i burn through fiction really fast and so it just Mm -hmm. isn't the best use of my time to listen to like somebody read an audiobook of fiction for hours and hours and hours, like I when I can burn through it in a day or less. Um, yeah, but- the reason that I mm-hmm. thought that I've tried audiobooks, and yeah. again, I have mixed success with them, is that I find it hard to be able to just sit down and read a book and right. not be able to do anything else. Whereas right. if I'm listening to an audiobook, I can multitask. Right, exactly. Same. I like to listen to it while I'm sewing or things like that. But so let me tell you about my experience with audiobooks and nonfiction. Right. Okay. So audiobooks and nonfiction. So again, it, because it's like listening to a very informative podcast, basically, when you're listening to an audiobook. And um, some of my favorite nonfiction to listen to in audiobook form is memoirs. So mm-hmm. two of the ones that I'm going to call out are the first one is this book called Games Without Rules by Tamim Ansari, which is a history of Afghanistan. And the author okay. reads it himself 
So sometimes, especially if you get an author with a good voice, like that's great because the authors will be able to add kind of a more personal touch to whatever they're reading or performing. So Tamim Ansari mm-hmm. read his own book. So it's like, it's a history, but also it's tied up with, it's got bits of memoir because he did grow up in Afghanistan during the time that he's talking about. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really cool to listen to the authors pronouncing the the words correctly, which is a really big plus. Um and and just hearing him kind of relate, he's got this very warm and 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 inviting voice that just helps you relax and just listen to him talking about the history of Afghanistan. It's really great. So that's a really fantastic recommendation um, that I have. But my absolute favorite audiobook that I have ever listened to is um, "Born a Crime" by Trevor Noah. So mm-hmm. I, first of all, I, it's like, I like Trevor Noah. I listen to, uh, the daily show has a podcast version that I used to listen to when I was, you know, working on stuff. And so it's really good to multitask to. So Trevor Noah is somebody, so he wrote this memoir of himself, of, of his childhood in South Africa, and he performs it. He reads the audiobook version. And he, so he does things like he does the voices and Trevor Noah is really known for his impressions. And so it, like, he does the voices and they're fantastic. He mm-hmm. does, he, he's also, he's a polyglot. And so um, where in the book, I think he'll give you snippets of the language and then translate it. Here, he also, he gives you snippets of the language. Sometimes it goes a little longer, but so you can hear the, the Hosa and um, the Zulu and all of those different languages in South Africa. You can hear him because he speaks a lot of them. Um, wow. Yeah. So you can hear, you know, it's just so much more authentic and immersive experience than it would have been if I had just been reading the book, you know, so, yeah, so there, are, there are some books and I think nonfiction lends itself more easily to audiobook format um, and especially memoirs just because that those are genres where an audio performance can really bring a whole new layer of uh, of experience to the 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 enjoyment of the work if that makes sense yeah you know um Gretchen McCulloch also did her her own audiobook for Because Internet yeah and I was following her Twitter at the time Mm -hmm. like I was on Twitter while she was tweeting about it yeah and she found she had a lot of difficulties because so much of her book is about punctuation marks and you know the written word yeah so I have not listened to the audiobook of Because Internet, but I imagine it would be very funny and creative in yeah. order to solve those problems. Yeah, that's always the best is when they find creative ways to do things. Um, I will say, just for anybody out there who is looking to get into audiobooks, I mean, not all audiobooks are created equal. So my best possible advice for you is to listen to the samples that are available to you. Normally, they'll have like maybe a 30 second or one minute sample. You want an author who, A, whose voice you like to listen to, right? Narrator. Yeah. You want a narrator who you can listen, you can stand listening to for possibly like double digit to triple digit amounts of hours. Um, Mm -hmm. You want an author, at least for me, I like to have an author because some, sorry, I keep saying authors, narrators. Some narrators are very flat in their delivery, right? They're very matter of fact. I personally prefer somebody who is actually interesting to listen to, so somebody who has a nice timbre to their voice, somebody who um, who who uses intonation when they're reading. 
So that for me is a must. And so just listen to the samples before you buy because or or check out because that for me, the author's quality, the quality of the, the narrator's voice is the big deciding factor for me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah. So we hope you guys have a have enjoyed hearing us talk about our favorite books from 2019. Yeah. And our favorite fanfics from 2019 and our favorite audiobooks from 2019. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, hit us we up would on Twitter. love it if you told us about the fav- our fav- about your favorite books that you read in 2019. Yeah. You can tell us about that on our Twitter at Pixie Podcast. Also, if you're interested in more content from us, you should check out our Patreon, which is also Pixie Podcast. On our Patreon, we post a couple times a week. We have outtakes from every single episode, funny bloopers, but also tangents that we went on that did not make the cut for the episode itself. Right. We do we do mini episodes based off of every single episode that we publish, like an extra answer choice or a long tangent that we thought would make a nice 20-minute chunk of talking. Yes. We also post up our show notes, which are completely free to read for anybody who visits our Patreon. And there we have all of the links that we promised you and just more information about the kind of stuff that we discuss. Absolutely. So if you're interested, please check out Pixie Podcast on Patreon. Yes, absolutely. So this episode, as always, was written by us, Lindsay Jones and Sophie Lee. Our audio editing is done by the inimitable Elisha Bonnet, and our music is done by the equally inimitable David Hillowitz. Thank you so much to all of you guys, um, and thank you to all of you guys, our beloved listeners, for listening. And we we are super excited about this season to come. We have a lot of fantastic and very fun and very educational episodes to come, so we hope you will stay tuned. And we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.